As we turn our attention now to the reading and proclamation of God's word, let us join our hearts in prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds that in hearing your word, we might have the knowledge and the courage to follow you wherever you lead. In hearing, strengthen us with hope and remind us that always in life and in death, we belong to you. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson from the lectionary text for All Saints Day comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And the gospel lesson comes from the gospel of John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. As we pick up our text, Jesus has already received word that Lazarus has died, and he's traveling to Bethany to join Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And we pick up in verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And, whoever, and, who, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up and quickly go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. So Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can hear the anguish, can't you, in Martha's voice as she runs ahead to meet Jesus. And then again in Mary's voice a little while later as she makes the exact same comment word for word. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It sounds like an expression of doubt, but it may in fact be an affirmation of faith. It's a lamentation to be sure, but it emanates from the conviction that it is Jesus who gives life to those on death's doorstep. It expresses deep sadness, but only because of the conviction in what could have been. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This simple phrase gives voice to the depths of our own sadness and shock in the aftermath of the loss of someone that we love. We may not necessarily doubt the fact of God's presence and love and power, but we cannot help but wonder, given the reality of God's presence, love, and power, why things didn't unfold differently for the one we love. Lord, if you had been here, my husband would not have gotten cancer. Lord, if you had been here, my friend would not have taken her own life. Lord, if you had been here, my mother would not have had a heart attack. Many of us have come to think that it's sort of uncalled for to question God with anything comparable to a Lord if you had been here. And perhaps we equate honest distress with a lack of faith. But this is the same Martha who in her very next breath says, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God coming into the world. And this is the quintessential expression of faith in the Gospel of John. So clearly Martha is not someone who lacks faith. But she doesn't say, well, Jesus, everything happens for a reason. 
No pious platitudes, no stoic resignation, no apologies for her tears. Just the raw, honest truth. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Friends, be honest with God as you move through your journey of grief. Jesus, for his part, is surprisingly immersed in what's happening. He's gripped by it. Clearly, Jesus was very close with this family. When word had first reached him that Lazarus was sick, it came in the form of a message that said, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus relayed that message to his disciples by saying, our friend Lazarus is sick. And upon arriving in Bethany, the text says that Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he begins to weep with those who weep. Jesus is, of course, a model for us in every way. He's a model for us as he speaks against injustice and loves the outcast and the stranger. He's a model for us when he wakes up early and goes off by himself to pray. And so if Jesus weeps in the midst of grief's most heavy and poignant moments, then he's a model for us of how to mourn the losses we face in our lives. Friends, it's time for us to shed our cultural embarrassment of tears. As Jesus heads to the tomb, he's accompanied by the crowd that is gathered to console Mary and Martha upon the loss of their brother. Then and now, it's important to be surrounded by support and care when we go through a period of loss. We are wise not to isolate ourselves when we need the support of family and friends. It's good for us to give ourselves to the caring of others. And yet also then and now, crowds of people are not always perfectly helpful. Sometimes people who come to support a grieving person say a little more than they should. It's not malicious, of course. It's hard to know what to say. He's in a better place, someone might quib. I know how you feel, says another, launching off into their own story. It's hard to sit with someone in the silence and solitude of grief, but it's often best in the midst of unspeakable sadness not to say too much at all. The crowd that accompanies Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Jesus to Lazarus' tomb, the crowd also says more than they should Did you catch that? Just behind the sympathetic, look how much Jesus loved him. They also express that unhelpful analysis that those outside a situation sometimes succumb to. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying, they ask? And this skepticism among the crowd reveals another painful and challenging stumbling block that grief sometimes sets in our way. Couldn't Jesus have done something differently, the crowd asks. And we're sometimes tempted to ask that same question of ourselves, too, in its various forms, right? Couldn't I have done something differently, we might wonder. Why didn't I see this coming sooner? Why didn't I see the signs? Should we have gotten a second opinion? Should we have switched doctors or medications? Could I have done more or said more or prayed more or helped more. 
It's all too easy, isn't it, to second-guess ourselves or to think that we could have exerted more control over a situation that was surely well beyond our control. Such questions are almost never helpful. And just as Jesus simply ignores the skepticism in the crowds in our text, we do well not to engage in fruitless self-scrutiny when we grieve. We should identify such qualms for what they are, manifestations of the grief within us, not valid objections rooted in reality. And we should show ourselves the same kind of compassion that we offer to others when they're grieving. Friends, be gentle with yourselves in your grief. Now, our scripture text reaches a kind of crescendo as Jesus arrives at Lazarus' tomb. Greatly disturbed, with a powerful prayer and a booming voice, Jesus defies the power of death and summons the dead man forth from the tomb. And Lazarus comes forth, no longer bound by strips of burial cloth or the talons of death. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Surely the crowd of naysayers' skepticism has finally been shattered. And the story ends. And I don't know about you, but the tension that I find in this text is that it's at its most glorious conclusion, at its most miraculous resolution, that I lose my ability to connect my own experience with this story. The account of the raising of Lazarus is long, and as the plot unfolds, much of it resonates with my own life and experience. Perhaps it does also with yours. I know the anguished cry of, Lord, where were you when I needed you? I know tears of grief and disbelief and the pros and cons of sharing grief with others. I've contended with a taunting voice, wondering if I did all that I could have. And throughout the story, there's tremendous comfort in knowing that Christ is in the midst of these experiences just as he was in the midst of those of Mary and Martha. And yet even when I marvel at the captivating conclusion to this story, it's also where my experience parts ways with the text. All's well that ends well, it seems, for Mary and Martha. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Their prayers for healing were answered. But for those of us who have prayed for healing and yet lost the one we love, what are we to make of this text? those of us who have grieved for longer than the four days that Mary and Martha wept, and yet the tombs of those we love are still empty, still shut, what are we to make of this text? I pose these questions as someone who believes in miracles. I believe modern medicine is itself a sort of miracle, an explicable one anyway, and I also believe miracles happen that defy the explanation of even medicine's wisest practitioners. Explicable or not, amazing things happen all the time, and I pray fervently for amazing things to happen all the time. It's part of my job. But the reality is that more often than not, people come to die. They may live longer than anticipated, which is praiseworthy. They may find unexpected healing and uh, restoration of relationships before they die, which is praiseworthy. And their final days may be clothed in outpourings of divine grace, which is certainly praiseworthy. But unlike Lazarus, most of the people I pray for, in the end, pass away. 
The Lazarus story took on new dimensions for me one day when I realized for the first time something that should have been obvious to me all along, I suppose. Lazarus eventually died again. His resurrection, at least this one, was not permanent, nor would he be immune from whatever ailment had put him in the grave in the first place moving forward. Lazarus would die again eventually, and Mary and Martha would find themselves back at square one, starting the journey of grief all over again. In other words, Lazarus was raised, but this resurrection was only temporary. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, John refers to Jesus' miracles, not as miracles, but as signs. The raising of Lazarus was surely the most remarkable of Jesus' signs, but to call it a sign rather than a miracle offers us greater insight into the meaning of it all. Because a sign points to something else, something beyond itself, right? A sign's an indication of something greater. A sign is a means to a greater end, but not the end in itself. So it is with the raising of Lazarus, which is simply a sign of something greater, pointing ahead to the real prize, the resurrection of Christ from the tomb. The raising of Lazarus is a foretaste of Christ's resurrection, but it's not yet the real thing. It's a teaser. It's a trailer. It's a hint that though Lazarus was raised back into this mortal life, a greater resurrection to eternal life was in the works and about to be realized, about to be accomplished by the Lord Jesus himself. So though Lazarus would die again after being raised from the dead, Jesus would soon be raised never to die again. And so I came to peace with this text, knowing that although I have longed for those I have loved and lost to receive the kind of miracle that Lazarus received, I do not ultimately long for them to share in the resurrection of Lazarus, but in the resurrection of Christ. Now, to be sure, a Lazarus-level miracle would have been wonderful. A new lease on life would be amazing. Healing is always worth praying for, and when someone dies, it's always appropriate to grieve. But in the end, the resurrection of Christ, not the resurrection of Lazarus, is the one in which we must place our hope and trust. Therefore, on this All Saints Sunday, let us take heart. For although Lazarus would die again, Jesus will never die again. And so we may not share in a temporary resurrection back into this mortal life with Lazarus, we will surely share in a resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so too will all those saints we have loved and lost who have gone to be with the Lord. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so with the saints of every time and place, let us rejoice and give thanks that whether we live or whether we die, in life and in death, we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Alleluia, and thanks be to God. Amen.
Friends, in response to God's word read and proclaimed, let us now present to God our tithes and our offerings. Though we will not pass the offering plates, there is a QR code you can scan if you wish to give in your bulletin, or the offering plates remain at the doors if you wish to leave your offering there after the service. Now let us return to God a portion of God's many blessings. Will you join me in prayer? God of abundance, we give you thanks for your provision, knowing that everything we have comes from your plentiful hand. By your spirit, give us generous hearts. Take these gifts and put them to good and faithful use in our midst, that in caring and providing for others, we might show forth your mercy and grace in a broken and hurting world. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, we pray. Amen.